0: Maybe this weekend you think about music, like Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. Or some of you may think of James Brown's Living in America. Or some of you who love strength might think of Toby Keith's Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. Or the Star-Spangled Banner. I think one of the most universal symbols of freedom that comes to many people's minds is our Statue of Liberty. I remember the excitement of visiting it when I was in third grade, and at that age... I was mostly a hyperactive kid who didn't like to ponder and read a lot of history, but I can still remember having the sense of awe and history about the whole experience and a gratefulness for living in America. Now, Wendy's never been able to go to New York City and has always wanted to see the Statue of Liberty, and we wanted to go a few years ago, but it was under construction, so we ended up delaying that trip. But for her, the Statue of Liberty is just this amazing symbol. It's given to us by another nation. And it's designed with an explicit message of hope for the world. The seven spikes on her head symbolizing the freedom that is intended to shine out across all seven continents of the world. The torch signifying the light that lights the path to freedom. And Wendy's and many other favorites of the symbol is the broken chains off of her feet. Freedom breaks people's chains and breaks oppression. The power of this symbol has deepened over the years. A poem written and added to the Statue of Liberty pedestal in the early 1900s says this. Many of you have heard it. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. It's a cry heard in every heart yearning to breathe free. No single word resonates with Americans and billions of others quite like this word freedom. I mean, think about it. Car ads promise us freedom. Politicians and political causes promise us freedom. Magazines promise us relational freedom if we follow their tips on how to love. And business authors and coaches promise freedom in our careers if we pursue leadership and wealth according to their formula. But what is freedom? The answer to that question causes conflict and is confused in our culture. We have some groups crying out for freedom, lobbying for one thing, all the while other groups describe freedom as the exact opposite, fighting each other as to what freedom really is. Is it freedom to use whatever bathroom you identify with? Freedom to select your own identity? Freedom to define marriage? Or what about freedom of religion? Or even freedom of speech has such confusion and conflict all around it today. Is it free speech or hate speech to disagree on the many various issues of homosexuality? Is it hate speech to call certain terrorists who are adherents to and motivated by radical branches of Islam radical Muslim terrorists? So many definitions of freedom conflicting with each other and causing so much conflict today in our culture. And then there are those who question or are confused, thinking, if I become a Christian, am I going to lose my freedom? Am I going to have to take on restrictions that diminish me or limit who I want to be? Freedom is a hot topic, and it's a rally cry today. But freedom is not just the cry of the human heart in our culture. It's also at the forefront of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus says it this way in John 8. He says, so if the Son sets you free... You will be free indeed. And Paul says in Galatians 5, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. When I read those statements by Jesus and Paul, what feelings and thoughts rise up within you about what it means, about what it means to be free? With all of those competing cries for give me freedom going on in our culture, what is freedom? What does it really mean to be free and live in freedom? Is freedom the freedom to choose? Is it the freedom to be self-determining in your life, the freedom to do what you want, when you want, how you want, to live life the way you want, free of restriction? Is it, as our culture teaches us through one of the greatest philosophical works published in the last several years, that work called Frozen?, That freedom is as Elsa inspires us to believe when in Let It Go she sings, It's time to see what I can do. Test the limits I can break through. No rules or limits for me. I've got to break through to be free. Now we can chuckle at that, but much of the great culture-shaping philosophical works that most influence our society today are movies like Frozen and sitcoms and reality shows. Is freedom really about breaking out of the rules and limits around us to live the way I want to live? What is freedom, and what does it mean to be free? And more importantly, how do we walk in freedom? In the next few moments, we're going to wrestle more deeply with those two questions. So first, what is freedom? In order to understand freedom, we need to recognize the difference between free will and freedom. See, many people believe they're the same thing, but they are not at all the same thing. Free will is the right to make a choice, and that is something we believe is inherent in humanity, put there by God himself. We've talked about that, for instance, in previous messages about free will being essential. Otherwise, love is impossible. And to illustrate that idea, we've used an example where I've told you, what if I met someone in just uh, like a week or two ago, and within that short amount of time of meeting them, I expressed to them my undying love for them? If I said that to you, what would you think? Now, if you knew that at the time I expressed my undying love to them, they were holding a loaded forty-five to my head, threatening to pull the trigger if I didn't tell them I loved them, how does that change your perception of my expression of, free, of love to them? Free will is essential to love. With free will, we can choose love and good, but we can also choose evil and hate and anger and bitterness and sinning against God and yourself and others and bringing destruction rather than God's good and God's love into our lives. Now, since we've talked about that fairly recently, let's leave that there and let's look a little deeper at how free will is different than freedom. Uh, growing up in Minnesota, we had an aquarium for many years with sword fish. On cold winter mornings in Minnesota, we would wake up to a house that was about 58 to 60 degrees, and my brothers and I would race out of bed to see who could claim the best hot air ducts in the house so we could dress for school in the warmth of its airflow and not freeze while changing. I remember way too many times finding hard, dried out, crusty, slightly baked little swordfish right where I wanted to put my cold feet in front of the air duct while getting dressed for school. Those little guys were masters at finding even the smallest opening in the lid to the aquarium and jumping out, landing on the floor in front of the heating duct. The fish has the free will to jump out of the tank. But is that fish really experiencing freedom by escaping from the aquarium? A train certainly has the free will to jump the tracks and be free of the tracks. But does that really result in freedom for the train? I love ice cream. And one of my biggest favorites is vanilla bean ice cream and warm apple or berry pie or pumpkin pie. I have the free will to choose as an adult, and once in a while I do choose to eat ice cream and pie for breakfast, like this morning, because it's the American thing to do on this weekend. But if I were to eat like that all the time, does free will bring me freedom? Does it make me more free to be me and excel through the gifts and talents I have to make the most of my time? Or does it just make me unhealthy and less free to be the real strong, healthy me God intended me to be, the me that can fly and enjoy being who I am at my best to experience real happiness and fulfillment? Can we have great relationships if freedom is all about my free will to do what I want, when I want, and how I want? Or do we have to say no to some things and live within certain rules and constraints that limit what we can choose if we want the freedom of great relationships? See, free will is the right to choose, but freedom is often not attained by our right to choose. If we confuse free will with freedom, what we get is this aspiration that I should have the individual right to self-determination, do what I want, when I want, how I want. But the freedom to be great musicians means we make choices to not do certain things and choices to do others. My brother is a world-class organist, and, you know, there's not very many of them, but he's still amazing at it. And he chose not to rock climb or play sports so as to not risk damaging his joints. And he chose the constraints of rigorous practice and rigorous critical feedback from the greatest musicians in the world in his field. To experience freedom, we must live within constraints and moral rules. Would you like to take your children on vacation, for instance, to a country where free will reigned and people did whatever they want? If the answer is yes, then your top dream destination for a vacation is going to be Somalia. Where free will exists, without the constraints of law in the world, what we really have is destruction. We have anarchy. When we look around the world, everywhere free will governs without constraints, we also find the greatest oppression of freedom. Few laws govern Somalia, and it's one of the most dangerous places to live in the world where poverty and slavery and sex trafficking and drug trafficking and murder and piracy are rampant. Free will is your ability to choose to do what you want, whenever you want, however you want. And the reality is that most of the posterized arguments by social and political groups in our nation today promote freedom under the moniker of free will and define it that way. But absolute, unfettered free will doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to anarchy, pain, destruction, oppression, conflict, and every kind of evil thing. No wonder Our nation, with all of its push for free will as the definition of freedom, is more polarized and conflicted today than it has been for many years. Freedom, not free will, but freedom is really about our ability to live to our fullest potential as human beings so that freedom is found in understanding your design. How you were made and how you were made to, what you were made to do and to be. And then like a train staying on the tracks or a fish staying in the water or eating within the bounds of healthy eating, staying within your intended environment and within the constraints and rules of how you were intended to live is the only true way to find freedom. And when we don't live within those constraints, we end up frustrated because living in, we live enslaved to an inferior life experience. We end up like the train off the tracks, a wreck unable to go anywhere, totally stuck and enslaved in an existence that hurts us and others, that leaves us dented, rusting hunk of metal alongside the tracks instead of experiencing the joy of the wind in our face and the mountains we were intended to climb and the meaningful good our lives were meant to deliver in this life. Or... We live dry and dead all too often because we're like fish who don't respect the environment we're constrained to be in. So we put ourselves in environments with other people doing things in ways we were never intended to do that leave us temporarily feeling warm and free and powerful as we've jumped out of the water God created for us. But in the end, we're dried and baked and dead fish on the carpet in front of the heat duct. And often when we do those things and experience the pain of them, we blame God. God. See, Paul says in Galatians 5.1, he says, it is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, what he's saying is freedom is found within the confines of your nature and your design that your creator has designed you for. And refusing those confines causes you to live in slavery, under a yoke of slavery. I mean, a fish is only truly free when it's in the water and its gills are are free to work and its fins are free to dive and dart and stop and float and jump when it lands back in the water. It's all okay if it jumps. It's all fun. But it isn't free to live outside of its intended environment and constraints. Which leads us actually to the question, how do we live in freedom? Well, leading from that last point, we live in freedom by following our designer's way for our lives, the ways he's created us to live. In what ways have maybe you exercised free will that made you a train off the tracks or a fish out of water? In what ways are your choices leaving you in pain and frustration instead of the peace and the promise God wants for you to experience? See, too often we choose our own path and our own ways instead of trusting God's design and God's ways for our life. So in reality, we actually live a lot like, maybe you've heard the story of the last Japanese soldier in the Philippines to surrender. Have you ever heard that story? He lived for years after the war was done. Lieutenant Anoda, Imperial Japanese intelligence officer in the Philippines. He refused to believe the leaflets that were dropped thinking they were enemy propaganda to try to get him to surrender after the war was over. Multiple attempts were made over the years of people going to him and saying, hey, the war is over. It's been over for a long time. It wasn't until they actually figured out who his former commanding officer was, Major Tanaguchi, and they brought him on March 9, 1974, to the Philippines to talk to him, that he laid down his arms... And walked into the freedom and the peace that was really there already waiting for him for the past 29 years. 29 wasted, tense, fearful years living in the jungle. 29 years lost. Never to be recovered with family or friends living in peace and freedom that was all waiting for him. How do you keep fighting battles you've already been freed from by Jesus? See... God has tracks in our lives that we're supposed to run on, clearly spelled out in the Bible, intended to guide our choices and lead us to freedom, wisdom about the kinds of things that bring us relational and marital and financial and personal and career happiness, and the things that don't bring that to us. God prescribes appropriate environments for us with freedom and growth, and He also identifies environments that lead us to sin and slavery in our lives. But too often we don't take the time to discover those things because we don't study the Bible consistently enough. Or we spend time, when we do read the Bible, questioning and arguing against it instead of living in faithful obedience to see if God really means freedom when we do as He commands. Because we don't know God's ways from the Bible or we resist them, we live enslaved and burdened with pain and difficulty. We live slow and struggling in life to get anywhere that we really want to be. We live like wrecks instead of the intended good that we're supposed to be. All the while we're living that way, freedom is being offered to us. It's just sitting there, waiting for us to surrender to. That's kind of what we talked about last week when we talked about how we regularly need to reflect on God and, and what in my life is competing with Jesus' leadership in my life. And we asked you to go through a number of questions. We, we said, ask yourself these questions. Ta- uh, the, uh, what causes you to feel disappointment in life? What do you complain or get defensive about? What do you make financial sacrifices for? What worries you? To, to what do you go for comfort And what ticks you off? Those are questions we asked last week. And the answer to those questions for us may sometimes point to a competing God in our life where we are choosing to live off the tracks or out of the water in the environment Jesus wants us to live in. We also ask the question, what are your dreams? And are those dreams for your own glory or for God's glory? See, we can so easily not walk in freedom. Because we are unaware of how the rules of our culture or the rules of our family or the rules of our past keep us outside of the environment and off the tracks that God wants us to live in. The psalmist talks about this in Psalm 119. He says, I will walk in freedom. Well, why will he walk in freedom? It says, For or because I have sought out your precepts. The word sought out there is not just a curious reading for awareness. The word sought out there is this active word, meaning you pursue knowing and understanding of the truths of Scripture through an active seeking out, through obedience, putting the precepts to the test by obeying them and finding out, do they work? Do they really truly result in freedom? See, the idea of freedom requires constraints the, the, the idea that it requires constraints on us is, is not just a religious thought or, or a Christian thought either. You see it actually in the signers of our own Declaration of Independence. Ben Franklin wrote this. He said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. John Witherspoon, one of the other signers of the Declaration, a founding father, president of Princeton University, wrote, but a republic once equally poised must either preserve its virtue... Or lose its liberty. The virtues that lead us to liberty are the virtuous constraints found in what our creator has given us in his word, the Bible, to live by. The Bible teaches us what virtue is, the environment we're designed to live in, the ways we need to live in order to be fully healthy, fully alive, fully human, fully fulfilled, being free to do what we were created to be. Freedom is found in trusting and following our designer's way that lead us into living life according to the way we were designed to live. Now, if you think like me, some of you are probably thinking this, yeah, but just living out the commands of the Bible can also just as easily lead to religious slavery. Where we always feel guilty, we always feel the need to perform, we always feel pressure, we always feel like life is rigid and we have to constantly constantly work really hard. And in the worst case scenario, that kind of religion condemns others because everything becomes about rules. And that's true. In our faith, we are all... Tempted to go that direction of religious rules and harshness because it feels like it's more control to us. We feel more in control if we can define exactly what we need to be to be good enough all the time. So, in order to live out the freedom and follow God's ways, we also need our hearts to be transformed at the very base of our motivations and in our perspective about God. And that perspective change begins by seeing God as your Father. Not your boss. I remember the one time in my life that I stole something. I confess. Slap the cuffs on. That's fine. It was second grade. My friends and I had just finished swimming, and we went downtown. Uh, And my friends uh, put a bunch of pressure on me and said, you know, we're all going to go steal something. Come on, go steal something with us. So I stole a piece of bubble gum. What I wanted in that moment was I wanted the autonomy outside of what I was told my identity was by other people saying, you're just a goody-two-shoes pastor's kid. I wanted to break the rules, to show my friends I didn't have to live within the boundary of someone else's authority. I was my own person. I was my own boss. And we're all familiar with this tendency, right, in humanity and ourselves and our children. It's the thing that gives us this buzz stepping outside the boundaries, because we don't like to be told what we can and can't do. I mean, we commonly talk about this with our kids, right? If you don't want your kids to do something, tell them, don't do it, and then they'll do it. Or if you want your kids to do something, tell them, don't do it, then they'll do it, right? Is that what we say? There's this innate drive in ourselves to be our own boss. I did confess that sin a few years ago when I accepted a few years later when I accepted Christ in my life. My dad actually drove me to the next town where we were at the time when I did it to ask forgiveness and pay back for that bubble gum I took. It was a big issue for me. It was a really good lesson for me, an important part of me owning my own sin and fully accepting Jesus' forgiveness and the peace of this newfound relationship with of my own personal own faith in Jesus. But here's the deal. This is the core of sin from its very beginning, this struggle between God as a boss and God as a father. In Genesis, we see God creates a perfect world. And he says to everyone, you can eat anything, you can have anything in the whole garden except this one thing. And the temptation that Satan actually comes at Adam and Eve with is completely centered in this desire to be the boss. Instead of seeing God as the loving, attentive, wonderful Father, Satan makes Adam and Eve and makes us distrust God's motives. He uh, he tempts Adam and Eve to see God as a boss with a selfish agenda, trying to be protective of his own power, not wanting to share all that is good with them. A boss wanting to use them for his own gain, but not really tell them that. There's this actually this fascinating Vietnamese movie that I didn't see, but I read about. Won won multiple Sundance awards in 1999. Called Three Seasons. In it, we see this relationship between Hai and who's a cyclo taxi driver, and Lan, a prostitute, trying to make her way in the world in post uh, you know Vietnam War era when Western ideals are starting to come in and everybody's pursuing prosperity. And Lan does her tricks in this posh hotel in Ho Chi Minh City, formerly Saigon. Hi finds himself developing a relationship with Lon and falling in love with her as he transports her on his little cycle taxi back and forth from the hotel. And as they develop this relationship, she begins to tell him of her great dream that maybe someday she would earn enough to leave the life of prostitution behind. And in one of those conversations, she dreams out loud with him about the idea of staying a night by herself, not having to turn a trick, but safe and comfortable in one of these luxurious rooms she so often finds herself with strange men in at these posh hotels. And one day, Hai wins this cyclo-taxi race and earns enough money, so he buys Lon's time for the entire night, and he rents a room in this posh hotel, and he takes Lon there, and she expects to have to perform for him. But instead, he checks her into the room. He makes her sure she's well taken care of, a nice robe, a nice sleeping garments and, 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 and he says to her, all I want to do is I want to see you fall asleep safe and cared for, just like your dream. And after she's asleep, he just quietly leaves the room and leaves her there to wake up safe and sound the next morning to her dream that she'd always wanted to experience, the dignity and the safety. High used his power to serve Lan, not take advantage of her, to protect her dignity, not use it for his own gain, to fulfill her longing for safety, to be cared for, not expecting her to give that up for him. And isn't that a lot like a loving dad would do for his girl in life? Lan wakes up finding herself different because of that experience. She can't go back to her old ways. She's transformed because of this act of selfless love. Jesus comes to us even when we share that same distrust of God and the same rebellion against God, questioning whether he's a really good father to us or whether he's just a mean boss. Who wants to use us and chooses to take the penalty we deserve on himself to remove all doubt that he's the most generous, perfectly loving father? Paul teaches in Ephesians, the followers of Jesus, and he says, We're now adopted as his children, co heirs with Jesus. We're not even second class children, we're co heirs with Jesus. And our inheritance is absolutely guaranteed. And not just when we die. God has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and empower us more and more and more today to walk into this life that is, is in greater sync with His design for how we should live so that we can experience the joy and the peace and the meaning in life and the freedom that He wants us to experience. His kingdom rule. His ways to repair us and make us soar in life is breaking in among us as we follow and we work with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we get that perspective down really deep in our hearts, and that's really a lifelong journey for it, isn't it, isn't it? Getting, getting that perspective so that that's always our first response. When we get that, it changes our motivation about the Bible's rules and constraints. From I have to do this to I get to do this in our obedience to Him. I mean, those two phrases are completely different in motivation. Leave, you, leave us feeling something very different, don't they? When we say I have to do this, it's driven by our desire to gain approval. It's driven because we, it just has to be done and we just don't see a better thing, but we don't really want to. We don't really like it. We feel forced. So when we hear rightly that our freedom requires living within the constraints and the obedience to Christ's ways, to God's ways for us, it's really easy, especially when we're tempted to do something different, to struggle and do obedience begrudgingly to God. If you think of God as a boss, then you're a slave who fears for your relationship and your job. If you don't perform... You're going to get fired, and the relationship is going to be severed, right? But if you think of God as a good father, then you are secure. You're sure of your relationship. Think about it. Every one of us who's ever had a... Anyone in the room here who's had a good dad, we really, in some ways, want to be like those good things we observed in our dad, don't we? It's a joyful motivation in our life. It's such a great feeling when we become more and more like those things we admire in our good dad. And our dads are imperfect, right? Yet we still have this, I get to do this. I'm so grateful to get to be like my dad attitude in life. How much more for our Heavenly Father should we be that way? See, when we realize the depth of God's love... That he's shown us in Jesus the safety and the self-sacrifice and good intent that Jesus has demonstrated for us. And we digest that. We let it become a part of us. That we are loved so much by Jesus. That we are sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. That our inheritance ensures provision is more than adequate for our life. Our response can go from, I have to be obedient to, I get to be obedient because of an overwhelming sense of gratefulness. We still look at some of the statements in the Bible, like in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, "...whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it." And we look at those statements and we still go, "...yeah, but I don't know if I can trust him as a good, loving Father, because that sounds kind of mean." That sounds like he's got ill intent, a lot of pain in store for us, right? Demanding unreasonable stuff. And when we look at it that way, that text that way, we go back to that place. Okay, I know God's good. I know he's right. I don't know about this, but I have to do it, right? If we want to be obedient. But what Jesus is even really saying in that text is he's saying, whoever wants to define their own design in life, their own identity in life, and the way, in w- and that whoever wants to be in control, of the way they, and the way in which they live to realize freedom, to do it their way instead of my way, those people will lose their life because they'll become enslaved. Instead, Jesus invites us to true freedom to the soaring in accomplishment of the best purpose He has for our lives, that we get to soar within the gifts and and the relationships that God gives us. And we only walk into that kind of freedom when we let Jesus define who we are. And we live in obedience to God's ways. We trust His love as a good father, not a scrupulous boss. And our heart becomes free, full of joy. We get to trust God. We get to trust God. We get to walk with Him each day into all the good things that He does. And and we don't lose our place if we mess up because family is family. And that never changes. Can you imagine all the joyful good God wants to bring through your life? How powerfully effective, good, and inspiring He wants your life to be. The healing and good He wants to bring to your life and how He wants your life to soar free so that you can be all that you ever wanted to be, all that was meant to be. And the people, your Heavenly Father, wants your life to impact, to bring salvation from hopelessness and despair and disease and, and pain, to touch those who are spiritually lost because they're like people who have left the tracks and they're wrecked alongside the tracks, meaning to be on it. Remember Galatians 1, where Paul says, For it is freedom Christ has set us free. You may have not realized that freedom yet, and that's the assumption in these texts when Jesus and Paul talk about it. Even though Jesus has given us all we need, we may not have realized it yet, and none of us have fully realized it. But Jesus is saying, come on, trust me, follow me lay down your life and what you want to do and how you want to do things and get on the tracks I made for you, the perfect fit I made for you. And you'll find that you can soar in freedom that you'll never be able to soar in if you think freedom is all about your choice to do what you want, when you want, how you want. We're going to celebrate communion as we close. And Jesus made us free, and this is the symbol of that freedom. He came and lived among us, showing us how to live obedient to the Father, how to rely on the Holy Spirit by living among us, how to bring healing to our lives in the way He lived among us. And that's what we celebrate when we take the bread. And He also showed us that He spared no cost to make sure that we were absolutely confident in His love and forgiveness. He spilled His last drop of His life for us so that we could walk in life confident, That we are His children. That we are loved. That we're family. And family is always family. Lord, we ask that you would continue to come now as we come to celebrate communion and as we continue to worship. Lord, that for each and every one of us, you would make that place of seeing you as our good Father and trusting you and and being able to respond to life with this curious gratefulness of being able to be a part of living the way you designed us to live. Help that go deeper in each one of us. Lord, the areas where we've struggled and been frustrated, Lord, would you replace that with a sense of your grace and your forgiveness even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's Sermon Audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.